How is everyone this morning? Are you well? Yeah. That's good. Uh, so if you don't know who I am, uh, uh, my name's Alex. I'm uh, Pastor Warden Nicole have asked me to run our Friday night service, Reaching Young Adults, looking out for university students and young professionals. I just want to say uh, from Felicity and I, thank you so much uh, for inviting us and including us into your church community, into your church family. I truly feel like uh, every week I come, every uh, time we hang out, I feel more and more a part of this church, this community, and this family. And uh, and and we kind of need each other, right? I need, I especially need you and your prayer and your support as we continue to do what we're doing to reach young adults and university students. But I just, uh, I really did want to say thank you. Thank you so much for including us, for Pastor Warden Nicole, for empowering us, for trusting me, because, you know, I've got a lot of opinions, so that can cause a sense of like, I don't know about this guy, right? So um, to be trusting and empowering me is something I truly appreciate. So can we give it up for Pastor Warden Nicole, just out of gratitude and honor for, for your trust and belief in me. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, uh, some of you have, uh, no, understandably so, made this mistake, but uh, Rhiannon and I are not together, though we sit next to each other every week. <laughs> That's my fiancé Felicity with us here. I thought I'd better bring her <laughs> to help people out. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Felicity and I are engaged. Uh, we got engaged at, uh, late December, and we're um, we're really uh, excited to enter into this new uh, season in our life. And we're moving into the city, which I'm really excited about because it's going to make us closer to unis, and and to and so that uh, university students can come over to our place for dinner parties and connect groups and find a home and a community if they don't have that yet. So we're really excited about that. I will say that it is a testimony to God's grace that uh, Felicity and I are still together because uh, three months into our relationship. I uh, met the extended family for the first time at, at, at a Christmas Christmas lunch. And um, now, I am a pretty self-confident guy, so I wasn't too worried about going over to meet her family. But uh, it was quite a large family. There's about 35, 40 people there at Christmas time. And I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is a challenge, but I'm going to do this. I'm going I'm to make this work. And so uh, we get there uh, about 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock noon, uh, go into the house and, and meet everyone. And I've got to tell you, and, and I'm not embellishing here, I was smashing it. I was on fire. Like I was meeting everyone from, and I was connecting with everyone from like uh, uh, the, the newest toddler or the newest the newest child in the family to like to the to the cousins to the aunts and uncles to the grandparents. I was smashing it. Knew everyone's name, knew their story, working the room like nobody else. I was absolutely. And I got to say, I reckon it was the greatest. Uh, in the history of the in-law, the boyfriend-in-law coming to meet the family, in the history of those encounters, I reckon I'm in the top five experiences. I'm absolutely smashing it. Everyone is loving me and I am loving it. So naturally, because um, like most young men, the higher the level of our confidence, the closer we are to disaster, is... Um, it's about four o'clock in the afternoon and I gladly accept my first glass of wine. I feel like, well, you know, I've worked the room. I'm, I think I'm, I'm able to take a glass of wine. So uh, Felicity and I are resting on the back, um, back porch with a few, a, few, a few people around us and um, we're, we're lying on the couch and, and I say to Felicity, how good is this going? I'm doing really well. Give me a high five. Right, and because I am a serial pest, I'm the most annoying person I know, and I know my father, so that's pretty annoying. So, um, as I said, uh, uh, my intent is that in no way is for Felicity to give me a high five. What, what's going to happen when she gives me a high five is I'm going to pull back my left hand, and she's going to swing into the air, miss, and just be embarrassed, which makes me a really great, loving boyfriend. Okay, so anyway, uh, but anyway, I thought that, that would be really funny. So I said, Flick, give me a high five. How good is this going? And as she goes to give me a high five, I successfully uh, uh, execute the operation, and I pull my left hand back. However, 
my right my brain did not communicate to my right hand that this was just a left hand operation so the right hand is full with a glass of red wine i haven't taken a sip yet so as i pull back my left hand the right hand comes flying past my head whoosh full of red wine flying back. And I wish I could tell you that it landed harmlessly like in the backyard. I wish uh, that it would, like, would have landed on the cat or the dog or something like that. I wouldn't have minded it landing on the cat, actually. But I, w- I would have even chosen it to land on like white carpet. But none of those things happen. Whoosh, the red wine goes past me. And this is what I call like a Seinfeld sitcom moment. It flies past me. And I watch it hurtling into the air into Felicity's granddad's lap. The man is covered and soaked in red wine. I have just doused the patriarch of the McHugh family and I've only known him for two hours. And so what makes it worse is that he didn't really know what had happened. So this red wine hits him and he just goes, what happened? And, and make it even worse, no one else has seen what's happened. He doesn't know what's happened. So I have to explain to him, John, I'm so sorry. I've poured red wine in you. I've just, I've had a brain uh, fart and I've just, uh, it's red, I'm so sorry. And he goes, what, what did you do that for? I said, no, no, John, it's an accident. So then I had to explain to Felicity and her family why I had just doused their patriarch in red wine. So that's the depths that I came from. So to get engaged, I think uh, that's the story of God's grace. That if I can douse the patriarch of your family in red wine and still you're willing to spend the rest of your life with me, that is God's grace in action. Okay, so I'm really excited to speak this morning on dreams and anointing. I, I, I really feel uh, in worship, worship was just so incredible this morning. And I really felt the presence of God and I felt the Holy Spirit. And uh, I like to preach God's word. I like to get uh, talk, talk, speak. I believe God is into in, intellectual discussion as well. I believe He's into biblical understanding, but I also am as much an advocate of the Holy Spirit accompanying God's word. That it's not a text to understand; it's it's God's word speaking to us. And I really felt that the Holy Spirit was here this morning, and that this dreams and anointing service that there's going to be breakthrough for some people. There's going to be hope restored for some people. There's going to be new visions dropping into your heart, into your spirit this morning. And uh, I'm actually speaking on uh, Joseph's journey, Joseph in the Bible, his journey and the journey of his dream and how that dream came to pass. So I'm excited to share with you this morning because I, I, I've just recently have been so blessed that God is really uh, meeting a lot of my dreams, a lot of things that I've written down, a lot of things that I've believed for. He's really started to open up heaven over my life and I've seen great blessing and great favor and there's nothing that I've really done to deserve that and it just is a testimony to his incredible grace that is available to all of us so I want to encourage us to keep believing in God to keep trusting in God so we're going to discuss and look into Joseph's journey we're going to exegete a few passages and see how God's goodness prevails through his journey when it really looks like it isn't and um, so uh, we'll, we'll get straight into it is everyone with me? Good to go. Let's go for it. Start the timer and we'll go. Okay, so there's three things. Before we go into um, Joseph's journey, I just want to unpackage a couple of things about, or three things, in fact, on dreaming. Because sometimes uh, I, I think we might feel like, because of our privilege living in a Western world, that we really shouldn't be dreaming that we really shouldn't think about dreaming, we shouldn't think about the best life that God has for us, we shouldn't think about God blessing us, we shouldn't think about breakthrough because we have a lot of blessings already. Uh, And so our privilege causes us to feel guilty 
But I, I just don't think that that's God's plan. I think God can move in your, I think it is God's desire to bring breakthrough, to bring blessing and that we shouldn't feel guilty because of his grace. We shouldn't be moved to guilt when he's been so gracious and kind to us. It doesn't mean he doesn't care about other people's problems that are less fortunate than us, but he's good. he is so good and gracious and faithful. He's able to be faithful to the person in a greater need than you, but whilst also still being faithful to you. So the first point I just want to, before, to set us up as we, understand, as we explore dreaming this morning and having a dream is that God's grace allows for you to dream. God's grace allows for you to dream. 2 Timothy 1 chapter 9 says it like this, God who has saved us and has called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God's grace allows for you to dream. He's called you to a holy calling because of his own purpose purpose and grace. The call that God has for you, the general calling he has for the church, the overarching calling he has for the church, but then the specific calling he has for you is possible because he is gracious. Sometimes we let religion over sincerity and false humility choke the dream out of us. Don't let religion choke you. God's grace allows for you to dream. So as we, just, as we explore this concept this morning, don't let religion stop you from dreaming big. Don't let religion stop you from thinking that God could meet the needs in your heart, that God could bring breakthrough, that God could bring blessing for His grace allows for you to dream. The second point as we study this is, is God's power means the dream can happen. God's power means the dream can, can happen. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and this is the only NIV verse I'll be using this morning. Not that I have anything against the NIV, it's just that the ESV is better. Okay, so, um, and God is able to bless you abundantly. Everyone say abundantly. God is able to bless you abundantly so that at all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will be able to abound in every good work. And God is able. Don't let your understanding of the circumstance, don't let your understanding of reality restrict what God could do in your life. God's power means the dream can happen. So we might not be able to make it happen in our own strength. We might not be able to make it in our own understanding. We might not be able to make it out with what we have access to, what resources we have access, access to. But God is greater than, that, than our inability. His power, His almighty, His might means the dream can happen. So God's grace allows for you to dream. God's power means the dream can happen. And then as we explore this, God's people are here to make the dream happen. God's people are here to make the dream happen, or the church is here to make the dream happen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging, everyone say encouraging, but encouraging one another. We are here to help each other's dreams happen. Yes, God's in the picture. Yes, God's in the formula. Yes, God is into it. But we're also here to encourage one another, to stir one another to love and good works. We are here to help make the dream happen. So let not our insecurity get in the way of someone's dream. Let not our insecurity get in the way of someone being encouraged. Someone has a dream. Let not our first response be someone suffering with tall poppy syndrome and trying to bring them down. No, let's stir them up. Let's encourage one another for you and I together are here to help make each other's dreams happen. 
That is the church. That is the glory and the beauty of the church that we are all denying ourselves in our pursuit of Christ and serving each other for the glory of God. God's people are here to make the dream happen. So because Joseph's journey is like the longest passage of scripture, I, and, and sometimes when preachers preach it, I kind of switch off. So I'm just kind of preaching how I process in a meeting and being honest is that I get a bit like I switch off in Joseph's journey because it's so long. So instead of reading to you um, three chapters of passages, I'm just going to do a quick summary of Joseph's journey. Is that okay? Because I think most of us are aware of Joseph's journey, but if you don't know it I'm, or if you've forgotten it, I'm, I'm okay doing revision. Are we all right with that? Okay, in two minutes, here's Joseph's journey. Okay, so Joseph's the 11th son of Jacob, and he's the favorite son. I can't empathize with that, but anyway. So he's the, he's the favorite son. He has this dream that he will have great influence and power, and his brothers actually will end up bowing down to him. Now, uh, I don't know if you've got brothers, but if you say anything, like, I don't even have to say you're going to bow down to me. I'm just gonna, I just have to say you can't have any of my pizza, and they're upset at me, right? So, if you're, so naturally, Joseph's brothers are kind of not into him saying, you're going to bow down to me one day. And so because we're in the Old Testament, they plot to kill him in the wilderness. <laughs> okay. All right. And so, and so then, but instead kind of things happen. And, and instead of being killed in the wilderness, Joseph is sold into slavery and is, and, and, and is, and is sent into the, uh, to be a servant in the house of a high ranking official named Potiphar. And, because, and Joseph actually in that house excels in his duties as a servant because God's favor is on him, but he's still a servant. He's still a slave. He's still not got any freedom. He's just got God's favor in that house. And then what happens is, even though he's got all this favor, even though he's doing really well, Joseph is then falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison. And so when he's in prison, Joseph interprets two dreams accurately in the prison with high-ranking officials. And then later, two years later, Joseph interprets. Uh, uh, dream correctly for the king, for the most or the pharaoh, the most influential man in the land. So Joseph's gone from the depths of slavery, the depths of prison, to being the guy who's interpreting the king, the most or the pharaoh, the most influential person's dreams. He's he's got an incredible influence. So for his wisdom, Joseph is made ruler over Egypt, second only to the to the king. Joseph, and therefore we see that Joseph's dream is fulfilled because a famine in the land causes Joseph's brothers to go down to Egypt to get food. They bow down in submission to Joseph, not realizing it's him, and then Joseph reveals his identity and forgives his brothers. So we see that Joseph's dream comes to pass, but we also see the incredible suffering and struggle that Joseph goes through in order for that dream to happen. So I want to go on this journey in Joseph's story and pick up a few and just pull out a few lessons that I've studied through God's word on Joseph's journey and what God had done and what what the fruition of what 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 a dream coming to fruition looks like, what a vision in your heart coming to fruition looks like. It's not like A to B just a gradual ascent. It kind of looks more it's going everywhere. And this is an encouragement to you that wherever you feel your dream is right now, wherever you feel your vision is right now, do not write off God's faithfulness. Do not write off God's favor. Do not write off God's commitment to your blessing. All right, so we're going to look at Joseph's journey here. And uh, yeah, go on. If you want to clap, you can clap. Okay. Um, okay, so now this is going to get a little bit testy before it gets encouraging. So um, please love me. Okay, so uh, point number one, and I'm, uh, the reason why I'm sharing this point is because I've seen myself react like this so often, and I've really felt the Lord convict me on it. And we're not here, we're not called to bring the uh, as Christians, we are not called to be uh, formed by Australian culture. We're called to be formed by kingdom culture, by God's culture, by how God would want us to behave and react. And so the first point here is this: big dreaming will flare up the insecurity in others. 
A big dream, a big vision will flare up the insecurity in others. Here's a couple of passages from Joseph's journey. Genesis 37 verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. They hated him even more. So their insecurity is fled. And then in verse 11, for sake of time, I'm just going to read verse 11 in, in chapter 37. And his brothers were jealous of him. Everyone say jealous. And his brothers, brothers were jealous of him. This uh, jealousy, this insecurity, I believe, is the core characteristic of someone who suffers from tall poppy syndrome. If you don't know what tall poppy syndrome is, it's kind of, uh, it's in all Western cultures, but Aussies, we love to do it. If, it's, if someone's rising above, they're in a position of influence or a position of success, or they're doing quite well, or they've got a big dream and they've got big hopes and they've got big plans for their future, our, a lot of people's uh, propensity is to, instead of going, yeah, go for it, I mean, or well done, you're doing awesome, or how great are you, we cut them. We try and bring them down to our level. Not because they just need to do that because they've got a big head, although they might have a big head, um, is that we do it because we're insecure. We do it because we're not excelling, so in order to feel better about our lack of progress, we cut people down to our level. And I believe that's the core characteristic of Joseph's brothers. They're suffering from that tall poppy syndrome. But here's what happens. This big dreaming will flare up the insecurity in others. And up. So I'm speaking to anyone who's brought down people, who's got that suffering with that tall poppy syndrome. Is Probably the reason why we do it is we're insecure about our own life. We can't find it. In, and so because we're so insecure, we can't find it in ourselves to support, celebrate, and serve others. When we look at where we are currently at in our career, our study, our economic status, we look at it and we go, and we feel unfulfilled. And we feel so unfulfilled that we see ourselves as failures or failing. And that failure and worthlessness rules over us so powerful, powerfully that we don't have the capacity to be happy for others. Joseph's brothers do not have the capacity to be happy and supportive of him. And so here's, what, here's what's happened. Is that if big dreaming, if people doing well, if people believing for great things makes you uncomfortable, makes you feel like you've got to bring him down, makes you feel judgmental, is that your insecurity has become more powerful than your love for others. Your insecurity, our insecurity has become more powerful than our love. It's not that you don't love or care about others, but it's that you're so haunted, maybe knowingly or not, by your perceived failure that every thought, word, and action towards successful people is tainted with criticism, cynicism, and disdain. We're so haunted by our insufficiency, our frustration, our failure, our insecurity, we don't have the capacity to be happy and supportive of others. Our insecurity has become so pervasive that our, our witness has been compromised. Our insecurity has become so consuming that our witness has been compromised. What I mean by that is that we can't be happy for anyone, so we're not really showing the world the love of Christ. We can't be supportive of anyone, so we're not showing the world how supportive and faithful Jesus is. When we allow insecurity to rule, our witness is compromised. When we allow insecurity to rule, the picture of Christ that we portray to the world is compromised. It's tainted by our humanity. We've got to let that insecurity go. We've got to find our security in Christ Jesus. We've got to know we're loved, affirmed, and accepted by Christ. We've got to know and realize how committed he was that he went to death on the cross on our behalf. That's how much he loves you, that even if your life's not working out, even if you don't feel like a success, you can be confident in who you are. You can be 
secure in who you are because your identity was never defined by your activity. Your identity was never defined by your performance. Your identity was defined by the love that Jesus has for you, that he went to the cross for you. Your identity is in Christ, therefore you have no need to be insecure. So if we want the world to know of Jesus' goodness, if we want them to know of his goodness, we've got to leave our insecurity in the dust, in the dirt. We've got to let it die and find that newness, find that wholeness, find that peace and love in Jesus Christ. To the tall poppies and small thinkers, why do we feel the need to disprove, discredit, and undermine the dream? Joseph's brothers in 37 to 20 said this, come now, let us kill him. Now, we aren't going to kill anyone, um, most because I actually wouldn't know how to do it, but let, let us kill him. We, we might try and kill a dream instead. Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Like there's something in us where we're like, oh yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see how you go after a year of hard knocks. We'll see what happens after you get out of uni, how the real world is like. Or we'll see what happens once you have kids <laughs> and, and how you can manage that. We'll see what happens. I told you this was going to get testy before it got encouraging. Right? But we, we feel a need. When we suffer with tall poppies, when we've got that insecurity, we have this need in us to disprove and discredit and undermine people's dreams. But let's not be people who look down our noses with cynicism towards people's dreams. Let's portray the character of Christ and commit to releasing the dreamers. Let's find ways to help people's dreams come to pass rather than shutting the doors with it. If you become generous with opportunity, I find that opportunity follows you. If you've got influence, if you've got leverage, if you've got a way that you can help someone on their journey, I have found time and time again if that you're generous with that, if you're not selfish and holding on to that, if you allow other people to get to where you are, God is faithful that he also and rewards you for your generosity with him being generous with opportunity for you. Don't fear that opening up the door to someone else means you're closing the door to your future. In fact, it's the opposite. Are we good? Okay, so here's point number two. Now, this is to encourage us. Here's a lesson I've learned from uh, Joseph's journey. Sometimes your suffering or your struggle is the doorway to the dream. Sometimes your suffering or your struggle is the doorway to the dream happening. See, Joseph's dream actually happens because he's taken to Egypt. Joseph's dream of having this influence, of, of, of being someone of great influence and power only happens because he went to Egypt, even though Egypt symbolizes the oppression and slavery that he was in. Verse, uh, chapter seven, 37, verse 28. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Here's the point. They took Joseph to Egypt. They took Joseph to Egypt. Joseph knows what Egypt means. It's oppression, it's slavery, it's captivity. He's not in the place that is in an environment that is conducive to influence happening. He's not in an environment that's actually going to bring out... <laughs> Success. He's in an environment where he's oppressed, he's a slave, he's someone else's object. He's in the ownership and control and, a, and has someone else as his master. He is a slave and he's taken to Egypt. And so I think a lot of us are in a, are a season, we're in a place where we feel like we've been taken to Egypt. We're not in slavery, but we're in struggle and suffering. We're not in slavery, but that promotion that we went for didn't come through. We're not in slavery, but that job that we tried for didn't come through. We're not in slavery, but the ministry that we've been dreaming about hasn't come to pass. We're not in slavery, but that child that we're believing for hasn't happened yet. 
We're not in slavery, but the dream that's in our heart looks absolutely like it's not going to happen. And so we all feel like we're in Egypt. Everyone say Egypt. You know, when I, I've always wanted to be a preacher. I've always wanted to be the man of God, run a church, pastor, preach, see people come to Christ. I've just always had that dream in my heart. And I guess, and, and probably my own youthful ignorance, but I looked at what preachers, youth pastors, maybe 10 years ago or whatever, looks like in that day, what all the preachers, all the big shot American preachers looked like and behaved on a pulpit anyway, back about 10 years ago. And in my mind, I started to think, okay, if I want to be where they're at, if I want to be a preacher who's having a positive impact in his community, in his city, then I have to be like these guys who have it all together. I have to be like these guys who have never struggled with any sin, never struggled with any problem, never have any issues. I have to be like them. I have to be Mr. Invincible. I can't have weakness. I can't have imperfection. I've got to have it all together because that's all I saw, right? Your pulpit's like your highlights reel of your life. So it's like, I just saw that, right? Like, okay, well, that's what I have to be. And so that image was implanted into my mind. So then as I've gone on this journey following Jesus and I've always put that call that God's had for me in ministry first, as I've followed that, I've been following it, and maybe a couple of years ago I was following it, and I realized that, wait, I'm on this pathway, but I absolutely don't have it together. And I actually really badly struggled with self-condemning thoughts. Uh, And so I would, maybe 50 times a day, these thoughts would be running through my mind. I hate myself. I want to die. You're such an idiot. I hate myself. I want to die. I'm such an idiot. And that was Horrible on two levels. One is the fact that that's a soul-crushing kind of self-condemnation that's coming into your thinking and defining your identity. But two, that made it worse for me, is it wasn't only that I hated myself, it's that I couldn't see how I could ever be a preacher if I was like this, if I had such struggles, if I had such weaknesses, if I had such inadequacy. I couldn't see how I could get to there if I was such a battler here. And so it wasn't just the fact that I was struggling with self-condemnation, I just was starting to realize maybe my dream can't happen. But, and so now I'm thinking the altars will never be full. I'll never preach. I'll never lead because I'm, such a, I'm struggling so much here. But what I have found in the past year, and I've been blessed to speak to uh, speak in a lot of different churches and a lot of different services, is that as I share this story of how I overcame that self-condemnation in Christ Jesus, as I share the story about how, yes, this is where I was, but this is how God's glorious grace triumphed through my situation, enabled me to love myself, to find out who I am. As I share that story, altar calls are full. People receiving Christ, people want to know him, people want emotional restoration. People afterwards who are so ashamed, who are so insecure about their struggle, contact me privately. I'm talking, I I might have three coffees a week where people are wanting to talk about that struggle with mental illness, that struggle with self-condemnation. So you can see that there's a fruit, that that God is producing fruit, but it's completely the opposite way to how I thought it would happen. God actually used my weakness to bring him glory. God actually used my weakness to connect with other people in their weakness, and that's what drew them forward. It wasn't that I had it all together. It's that I was broken and Christ mended me together. And that's where the fruit of my ministry is. Here's the point is that the doorway to my dream was the struggle. I wouldn't be here preaching unless I had gone through the struggle, unless I'd gone through the suffering that now is a testimony that brings power to my ministry. I wouldn't have got there unless I went through the suffering and the struggle. So sometimes your suffering and your struggle is the doorway to the dream happening. Just like Joseph went to Egypt, so you've got to go through your valley of 
darkness. Just like Joseph went to Egypt, so you've got to go through some struggle and some suffering. So how are we to respond? I think actually if the Bible is helpful in anything, it's helpful on how to handle suffering. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again. James 1.2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Romans 5.3-5, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. A lot of us feel like we're going to end up in shame, the shame of failure, the shame of disappointment, the shame of despair, the shame of unfulfillment. Why? Because we're in a suffering and a struggle right now. But look how Romans 5 explains the process. We rejoice in the suffering because the suffering produces endurance. The endurance produces character. The character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope in Christ will never result in your shame. The suffering connects you to the hope and the hope does not put Put you to shame. Your suffering, your struggle, your shame that you're feeling right now may well be the doorway to the dream happening. Do not curse your circumstance. Do not curse your circumstance. Your struggles are probably setting you up for your calling. Your struggles, your battles, your insecurities, your insufficiencies, the failures, the, knock, the closed doors, the knocked back proposals, they're probably setting you up for your calling. What an incredible story of God's grace you will be able to tell when his faithfulness ultimately reveals itself. Do not curse the circumstance. This is probably setting you up for your calling. Point number three. And I gotta move quickly. Why are we mourning over the next generation? We are alive. Genesis 37, 34. When I read this passage, I just felt the Holy Spirit like nothing else. I couldn't believe how I just felt God's presence so strongly. Read this, 37, 34. Then Jacob tore his garments and put his sackcloth on his loins and mourned, mourned for his son for many days. He tore his garments and mourned for his son many days. Why was he mourning for his son for many days? Because he thought Joseph was dead. He thought it was gone. He thought it was over. Now, we don't tear our clothes in mourning over something being done. You know, sometimes my generation gets labeled as apathetic, as leaving the church. The stats are out and the young adults are leaving the church in Droves, there's a, I love what the media calls it, a young adult exodus, right? And so this, uh, the world is tearing its clothes, it's mourning over, or, or, or the church in a whole is mourning over the next generation. They won't carry it like we did. They won't be committed and consecrated like we were. And so we're like Joseph, a lot of us, whether with our dream or the next generation, we tear our clothes not realizing that Joseph is alive. We might not tear our clothes, but we write Facebook posts or we make comments over coffee. That's our equivalent. That's our mourning. But do not give up on the dream that God has given you. Do not give up on the generation that God has uh, for, for, uh, in, in the future. We are alive. The dream is alive. Joseph, is, Joseph isn't dead, Jacob. He's not dead. The dream is not dead. Do not mourn. Do not tear your garments. Do not think it is over. Do not despair. Joseph is alive. Your dream is alive. This next generation is alive. C3 Roselle Fridays is alive. The university students we are to reach are alive. The young professionals that will be reached are alive. The young adults that will be reached are alive. Do not mourn. Let rejoice for the Lord is still moving. We are alive. This church is alive. How easy it would have been for Pastor Warden Nicole to tear in mourning, to give up in mourning. 
But thanks be to God that they are faithful. Thank you for having such great faith. Thank you for committing that you did not say it is over, that you did not see Joseph as dead, that you did not see this church as dead. No, you saw us as alive and we will go into a new day, a stronger day, a better day because our pastors did not tear their clothes in mourning, but they said this church is alive. Joseph is alive. You and I together as a church in our future, we are alive. So do not despair, rejoice. Do not despair, rejoice. I might make this my last point. If you work hard at serving others, favour is not far from you. If you work hard at serving others, favour is not far from you. Genesis 39, verse three to four. His master saw the Lord was with him. This is about Joseph. And the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favour. Everyone say favour in his sight and attended to him and, he, and, and, the, and the man made him overseer over his house and put him in charge of all that he has. And uh, chapter 39 verse 23 says similar, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. If you work hard at serving others, favour is not far from you. For me in my own life, every decision that I have made has been anchored in my commitment to build C3 Church. Every decision in my life, honestly, it's, it has been made by my commitment to serving C3 Church. So I'm just going to show you the last eight years of my life, just a quick one-sentence summary. 16 years old, I got saved and helped set up stage for youth. 17 years old, helped set up pre-party for the youth. 18 years old, ran the games for the Sunday morning youth. 19 years old, ran the teams for our young adults ministry. 20 years old, volunteered full-time for two and a half years in the offices for C3 young adults running all operations, marketing, and teams. I didn't make much money at that time. Okay, 23 years old, came on staff for volunteers and operations for Sunday night services at Oxford Falls and became on staff for C3 college students liaison. 24 years old, I preached for the first time at C3 Oxford Falls Sunday night service. And God, at the beginning of that year, had put a dream on my heart to believe him. I wrote on my dream card like you're going to write tonight. I wrote last year, God, I want to go to these countries. I have no money, so I kind of want to be paid to do it. And so then I traveled for work to Europe, UK, New Zealand, USA, Malaysia, Singapore, Chinese, Taipei. 25 years old, I run C3 Global Communications, C3 College Marketing, and I have the honor of being the service pastor for C3 Roselle Fridays. I am living in in my dream and all that I have done is committed to building this church, committed to building what God has called me to build. The point is, the point is, is that not all of us are called to ministry, but we're all called to serve somebody. We're all called, just like Joseph was called to serve. God had used God, God had used Joseph's service to bring him favor. If you work hard at serving others, serving this church, serving people in your world, favor is not far from you. Here's the deal though, and I know this because in my generation, is that a lot of young people want authority, but conveniently ignore opportunities for consecration. A lot of young people want respect, but conveniently ignore opportunities for consecration. If we, I'm talking to all the young folk here, if we want to bring in a harvest, we need to accept that it might be hard work. If you want to bring in a harvest in your world, you need to accept that it might be hard work. Don't curse the hard work, embrace it. Know that God is doing something. Know that you're honoring and glorifying God through your service. And finally, and if any of you want to come up, that'd be great. My final point is God is with you. God is with you. Genesis 39 verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. In verse three, his master saw that the Lord was with him. God was so with Joseph that the world saw that God was with him. Genesis 39, 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Genesis 39, 23, the Lord was with Joseph. 
Lord was with Joseph through the entire journey. He was with him in the depths of despair. He was with him in the, in the, in the, in the slavery in Egypt, in the prison in Egypt. He was with him in the, when the dream came to pass. The Lord was always with Joseph. Don't look at your circumstance and think, well, God mustn't be with me because it's not all working out. God is with you. That is the benefit and the consequence of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ that through faith in Him you are secure and firm in His hand and you cannot lose Him. God is with you. This situation might look bleak, it might look dark, it might look black or it might look amazing. Either way, God is with you. He holds your hand through the suffering. He celebrates with you in the triumphs. God is with you. Even when the fulfillment of your dream looks unlikely, you'll never be able to put Jesus back in the grave. Even when the fulfillment of your dream looks unlikely, you will never be able to put Jesus back in the grave. What's the point is that He is the ultimate triumphant one. You're never going to have to worry about the struggle of your righteousness again. You're never going to have to worry about the struggle with sin again because Christ is risen. You cannot be separated from His love. You cannot be separated from relationship with God. God is with you through Christ Jesus. And this is where we need to remember what defines us. It is not success. It is not fame, popularity, nor is it failure, loss, or obscurity. What defines you is the love and grace of Jesus. Me preaching well tonight or me preaching this morning or me preaching poorly this morning does not define who I am. It's the love and grace of Jesus. My dream coming to pass does not define who I am. It's the love and grace of Jesus. The job that you have does not define who you are. It's the love and grace of Jesus. The dream that you have does not define who you are. It's the love and grace of Jesus. So even if you're doubting everything else, you can always be confident that God loves you. Even if you're struggling in anything else, you can always be confident that God loves you. Even if you're not sure it's all working out, you can always be confident that God loves you. And so therefore, the dream doesn't need to be fulfilled in order for you to feel loved. The dream doesn't need to be fulfilled in order to, for you to be feel, feel loved. You can feel that this morning. You can feel that whenever. Why? Because it, it depends on faith in Christ Jesus, not on the dream coming to pass. It depends on Jesus. So that is my encouragement as we and Pastor Ward and Nicole are going to pray over our dreams and pray and anoint our dreams. And I'm believing with you that these dreams will come to pass. And I've been so blessed by God that many of my dreams have come to pass. But them coming to pass or them not coming to pass is not the marker of your identity. It's not the definer of who you are. The definition of who you are is the love and grace that Christ Jesus has for you. And we might think, but, but my life's not working out, but I'm not following Him faithfully enough, that my, but not, every, not, everything, not everything's working out. It's not all happening. Or you will never be able to put Him back in the grave. He's resurrected. He's triumphed. No matter what, no matter what, that debt is paid. No matter what, you are loved. No matter what, you are accepted because of the love and grace of Christ Jesus. Can I ask everyone just to bow their heads and close their eyes in this moment? Right now is a moment for you to receive the love and grace of Jesus Christ. We close our eyes for privacy so that you, it's just, and, and to eliminate distraction, that you wouldn't see me, you wouldn't see the band, you wouldn't see anything. All you would think about right now is Jesus and His love for you, Jesus and His grace for you. If you want the God who makes dreams come to pass, if you want the God who will be with you in the valley, if you want the God who will be with you in the struggle, if you want the God who will be with you in the suffering, in a couple of moments, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. 
Lift your hand and say, that's me. I want to receive the love and grace of Jesus. So there's three kinds of people in a service like this morning. Firstly, you've never been in church or it's been an incredibly long time since you've been in church. You've never prayed to God. You've never received His love and His grace. You might have gone to another church that was very religious, that was very traditional, that was all about the methodology and, and what you do and living a right life, but you've never actually received God's love. You've never actually experienced God's grace. I want you in a second to lift your hand. The second kind of person is that you used to be in church. You used to follow Jesus. You used to experience His love, but it's been a really long time. And you're just not sure if you're loved anymore. You're just not sure if you're following Jesus anymore. I want you to lift your hand. And finally, the third kind of person is you're just not sure at all. If you left here this morning, you wouldn't know, am I right with God? You wouldn't know if you're loved by God. You wouldn't know if God loves you. So when I count to three, I want if you're one of those three people, I want you to lift your hand. I'm going to count slowly, but I really want this to us to think in this moment, to really consider Jesus' love one. This moment is for you. When I get to count to three, I want you to lift your hand. I want you to experience God's love and God's grace too. Do not miss out on the opportunity to experience His goodness. He's too faithful. He's too loving. He's too kind. He's too committed to you. Do not miss out on His goodness. And I'm going to say it right now. As soon as I say three, I want you to lift your hand. Three. Thank you. There's one hand there. Who else is there? Who else is there? Who wants to receive the love and grace of Jesus? Who else is there? Lift your hand for me. We've had one brave person so far. Who else wants that love to experience that goodness? Thank you, God. You have 10 more seconds and I've got to close this meeting and hand, hand it back over to Pastor Wall. Is there anybody else? Lift your hand right now. Do not miss out on His goodness. Do not miss out on His love. You can be loved. You can be accepted. Is there anyone else? Lift your hand right now. Thank you, God. If everyone could just look to me very quickly. Someone was brave to raise a hand, which is amazing. We're going to pray with you after the service. Um, the team have seen who that is, and we'll, we'll pray with you. Uh, but right now, I'd like to uh, hand over back to Pastor Ward, and we're going to pray over our dreams this morning. Thanks, Pastor Ward. Thank you, everyone.